Hi there, I'm Kate Meisner, and welcome back to the Trustcast, an Adelman podcast. We talk a lot here about how to build trust in society, and today we're focused on its youngest members. This week's guest, Artis Stevens, is the CEO and president of Big Brothers Big Sisters of America. He sat down with Jonathan Jordan, general manager of Adelman Southern California, to talk about how racial injustice is impacting our youth and what needs to change. Give it a listen. Hi there. I'm Jonathan Jordan, the general manager of Edelman's Southern California region, and you're listening to The Trustcast, an Edelman podcast. Our guest today is Artis Stevens. He's the president and CEO of Big Brothers, Big Sisters of America. Um, Artist who is a proven executive in marketing, came to Big Brothers, Big Sisters of America with a longtime passion for youth empowerment. He carries this passion with him today as he leads this organization ensuring, in ensuring that all kids have the same opportunities that he did. Artis previously served as the chief marketing officer for National 4-H Council. And previous to that, he was the national vice president of marketing strategy and operations at the Boys and Girls Club of America. Artis, I'm so excited to have you, man. Uh, this, is, this is good. Thank you for coming on the pod and, and just welcome. JJ, thank you for having me on. I'm excited to talk with you and, and spend a little time sharing my story and sharing a little bit more about the organization and, and purpose in general. Awesome, awesome. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it real with you. I've got a lot of questions. I'm super <laughs> intrigued. I'm super intrigued by you, um, your background, how you landed at your current role, um, and just your views on marketing and, and the world today. So I, I, I'm I'm gonna admit I've got a lot of questions today. Uh, but just to start it out, I'd love to know more about you know, your passion. And so you have this passion for youth empowerment, and I know it didn't just start at uh, Big Brothers, Big Sisters of America. Could you just tell us about, you know, where this passion stems from? Where is it coming from? And, and why you ultimately decided to take the current role that you're in? Yeah, it, it's a great question. And, you know, I'll tell you what, what it's so important for me and being in a role like this is that I'm someone who is not just leading an organization that is about youth empowerment, but I experienced as a child. And as a child, I grew up in, in youth empowerment programs. I grew up in community programs that uh, served young people. I grew up in communities that always didn't have a lot of resources um, and a lot of uh, things that were access and opportunities for, for, for kids my age uh, at the time. But I was fortunate to have and grow up in, in these types of environments where we had mentors and we had people who we modeled after. And that for me was so important and so critical uh, in my life. And it shaped my perspective. And, and of course, it started with my, fa my family, it started with my parents, but I believe in this idea of an extended community, extended village, right? And I truly believe in that concept. It takes a village to raise a child because that's the life that I've, I've led. And that's how I've grown, that's how I've developed as a person. And now that I'm in this role, it's pretty much how I've lived my, my career uh, and my what I call my ministry over the last 25 years. Uh, I started in public housing and I worked in public housing and I built public and private partnerships, did direct programming uh, and services uh, for young people and, and families uh, working in those communities. The real spot for me and personal care is that I had an opportunity to work in a public housing community that I played in as a kid. Right. So that connection wow. to mission for me was personal and it was connected. And it took me from there to working in places like the Boys and Girls Clubs of America and, and leading all their national uh, marketing and communication uh, 4-H um, and taking me there. But it led me to this this opportunity, JJ, because 
last year, and, and, and I'll sum it up this way, last year, we're all going through a pandemic. We're all seeing what's happening in our society, social injustices, uh, and, and what's been happening for years and years of social injustices. And, and bandage just pulled off the, the, the womb even the scab mm-hmm. even more. Um, it was Ahmaud Aubrey that, that I, I, I continue to tell people when Ahmaud Aubrey was, was murdered, uh, that shook me. And the reason why it shook me so much, of, of course, it, it wasn't the first name and it, and it hasn't mm-hmm. been the last name of what we've seen. But Ahmaud Aubrey was from my hometown, from Brunswick, oh, Georgia. And I know people in Ahmaud Aubrey's family because this is a small town. And Whoa. the street that he was murdered on was also the street that, as a kid, I walked on tons of times. No, right? you kidding so me. it wasn't just this broad sense of here's what was going on in our society. It was a very personal connection to, to a family, a community that I knew, and it personalized it even more for me. And the reason why I share that and why I'm, I'm sharing that even for your audience here is because what it said to me is not was I doing the right thing. Not was I, I in the right career, the right following, the right ministry. But what it made me question is, was I doing enough? And was I contributing in all the ways that I could? And when this opportunity came about, that's where the question came when I had the conversation with my, my, my family to say that I love the work that I, that I was doing at the time. But I think in all of our lives, there comes a point where certain things move you into a direction to say you got to continue to follow your purpose. You got to uh, ultimately know what is it that you're intended to contribute in this world. And for me, this mission of Big Brothers Big Sisters of America and mentoring and the the service to the young people that we serve was truly like looking in the mirror because it is my experience. Man, I, I, when you talk about something hitting home, like that literally hit home for you. Um, I, when you talk about Ahmad Aubrey, I, I think the hardest part for me is that the, the guy was just running around. Yeah, you know, he's That's right. he's running. <laughs> you know, he's jogging, yeah. and and yep. you know, it's just. Uh, um, thank you for sharing that, and and it sounds like that passion truly ha- hasn't just started with your current role. It's been there for a long time, and you talk about how you've continued to give back to the community, um, and so uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, you talked about your, this being your ministry. And, uh, you know, as I hear about your background, like we, we have a lot in common personally. So, so you, had a, you come from a large family. I come from a large family, you know, one of six kids, big old family, you know, from Virginia. Um, uh, you know, you have family members who are in ministry, same thing on my side. It's been a bedrock of, of our family as well. Could you tell me perhaps how those two things uh, really shaped your worldview? as you came into this, this role? Well, <laughs> JJ, first of all, let, let, let me say it, it, it's, it's always, I'm not sure now, you're a preacher's kid? Uh, I am a PK, yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, but listen, it, it's, always, it's always good meeting another PK. We, we hey, just, we'll, okay. <laughs> we'll share some stories, but we'll just have to maybe share them offline, but we'll share yeah, some stories. That's, that sounds good, maybe not on the pod, yeah, but I, yeah. Think, I think we need to make that happen for sure. <laughs> So, so no, you're absolutely right, right? I, I grew up and I grew up in a family, a large family. There was eight of us in my household. Uh, you know, we used to always, my dad used to always tell, tell us, he used to say, you know, we didn't have a lot of means. We didn't have a, we were modest in means um, and, 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 and financial, but we were rich in relationships. We were rich in laughter in my household. Uh, I remember many mornings I woke up 
And I woke up in a bed where I had uh, two sets of feet on each side of my face because my brothers <laughs> and my sisters, <laughs> we, we, we were sleeping on opposite ends of the bed, oh, right? Because you only goodness. had so many beds. Yeah, um, that's right. But, but it taught me so much. It taught me connection. It taught me closeness. Uh, it taught me the, the idea of, of, of really understanding the sense of community and bond uh, and family and, and, and those things being important to me. But, but I also uh, will share this with you. And every single one of my brothers and sisters had musical talent, right? And my dad was a preacher. My granddad was a preacher <laughs> as well. Mm-hmm. And all of my brothers and sisters had musical talent. But for some reason, I was skipped <laughs> over. My friend. <laughs> so, so in the church, if, anyone, if you know anything about yeah, like, the black church in particular, right, music is a, is a key component. So mm-hmm. you got this family that everybody's musically talented except one kid. So, so then, you know, I was, I was continuously like, I was that kid. And then, uh, long story short, uh, one day I was asked to, to give a, a Sunday school speech where for, for, for your, for your listeners here, you know, that's when you sort of recite what you learned through some type of teaching, uh, uh, around on Sunday's lesson. And then I'll always remember, I gave that Sunday school lesson. And after I gave that Sunday school lesson, I looked up after I gave it and then everybody was standing and giving me a sand ovation. And then I got pointed at it and it was like, oh, he's going to be the next preacher, right? Uh, okay. <laughs> and okay. then, so I went and I asked my dad and I said, so everyone's saying I'm going to be a preacher like you have about seven years old at the time, JJ. And wow. I asked my dad and I said, am I going to be a preacher like you? And I'll never forget what my dad told me. My dad said, everyone has their ministry in this world. You have to find your own, right? And mm-hmm. when he told me that in this odd way, it just, it loosened everything on me yeah. because it empowered me to find my own direction and empowered me to find my own purpose. I, I didn't have to follow in his footsteps. I could follow in my own direction. And, and that sense of empowerment, it stuck with me. So to, to the question, the way I see the world is in the same way that my dad shared that, that, that line with me at the time and that, that counsel with me was this sense of, if you can empower young people, if you can truly give them a platform that allows them to find their journey, to, to feel like, to, to reach their own potential, to mm-hmm. have a pathway that they can walk in their journey, you know, that, that's the kind of direction that can change the world because we're truly giving young people a pathway and the empowerment and the guidance to allow them to walk that journey. That's what's meant so much for me. That's the way I, I, I relate and I connect with my, my two young girls uh, today in terms of, you know, the way they see life, the way they experience. Absolutely. Am I going to be there to guide them, to support? but I want them to walk their own personal journey, their own mm-hmm. personal identities and to find life uh, in their own experience and in their own ways. Man, I might have to write that one down. That's, that's pretty deep. You know, everybody's got their own ministry, um, whether you're a preacher or not. Um, super powerful. Uh, I think we also found another uh, common element. You, you said you had two girls. I've got two daughters that are eight and, and five. Uh, their names are Eden and Ezra. Uh, it sounds like you, so you have two daughters. I got two. You know, I, I keep sensing these commonalities. I have, so mine's are a little older than yours. They're, okay. they're 13 and 11, but they also have the same letters. I think yours have the same letters in their first, their first Come name. Come on now. <laughs> my, 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 you, went with, you went with E, I went with A, at least an I, okay. right? <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. 
Uh, other than the um, the PK stories offline, I'd love to know how you how in the world you you know as a girl dad you, you got to give me the tips here, man. I'm just trying to figure this thing out. Um, but uh, most most beautiful thing in the world, brother. But let me tell you, 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 you got a journey. <laughs> <laughs> I keep hearing that, friend. I'm like trying to prepare myself. Um, uh, artist, you're the first black CEO of Big Bo- Big Brothers, Big Sisters of America um, in the entire history of the organization. How do you view this historic moment um, as a way to further progress and, and also representation within the the organization where you're you're uh, currently placed? Yeah, it, I, I look at it for what it is. Right, it is a powerful statement about not only the sense of history, right, and that's where I start because I didn't get here alone. None of us do. I got here because of the shoulders of the giants that I stand on. So many that came before me that blazed the trail so that I could get here today, that I could have a moment like this, that I could have the opportunity to, to break through and to blaze the trail uh, of my own. So those are many names that I don't know and people that I don't know. There are many names that, of course, that everyone knows. And then there are many names to me because they've been mentors in my life. They've been people in my family. They've been connections that gave me opportunities uh, that allowed me and empowered me to, to get to the place that I am today. So for that, I'm grateful and I'm thankful for everything that's allowed me to, to get to the journey I'm at today. But I also know that it comes with responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the, the power of responsibility, I think, is the commitment that we all have to make. And the responsibility is to that statement of, so what are you going to do with it? Right. So part of that statement for me is I hope that that so many young boys, young girls, young professionals who see me seeing me this idea that they can exceed what I'm doing. I I tell people I'm the first black CEO of this organization, but I won't be the last. And my responsibility is to ensure that I am opening the door so that more people and more people of color, more people of different backgrounds, more people of different experiences. So many people who maybe have been marginalized and been left out of the circle have an opportunity. And I can do that directly through this organization. And we have a commitment and we have the strength. Our our framing is around being a a Jedi youth empowerment organization, justice, Mm -hmm. equity, diversity, and inclusion. That is our focus. And that's Mm -hmm. the, the organization that we've always been. Uh, through our founding. And that's the organization that we have to ensure that we're living the values and expressing our values. And there's work to do. And there's work to do in our organization. There's work to do in society. And my my other responsibility is to ensure that I'm doing everything through the influence that I have to widen that circle. So the mentorship that I give to others, the thought leadership that I give to others, the direct types of policies and advancements and things that allow for young people to have an opportunity to have access uh, and more opportunity. I have a big stage and I can't waste that stage because people didn't waste their time on me. So I got to make sure that I'm being responsible with the influence that I have mm-hmm. to ensure that I'm partnering and ensuring that I'm advocating and ensure that I'm working on behalf of young people and so many uh, other communities today that don't always get the opportunity to be inside that circle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I appreciate that those sentiments are certainly something that, you know, personally I'm um, going through as well as, as the first um, black man, male GM at Edelman, which, you know, same sentiment. I, I might be the first, but I, I certainly won't be the last. And it sounds like you, much like I are focused on how do we, 
ensure that we have that pipeline to create those opportunities, but also, you know, there's that added pressure, right? Um, right or wrong, it, there's pressure, right? And there um, always is, JJ, you're right. There's, there's always that sense of, of pressure. And you know what's so interesting about what you just said? It's, it's we've lived that pressure our entire lives, right? It, it, and, and that's the craziness of it. The craziness of it is it, it's, it's the pressure that I remember as a child. And, you, and, and I'm sure you probably had experiences where you're the only, right? You walk yeah. into a room. Or I remember that in elementary school. You know, I'm the only kid that looks like me in my class and having to experience things because I was the only kid or to be ostracized in some ways growing up and where I grew up, you know, in the South. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to be honest with you, to, to have to live between worlds in some cases, because, yep. you know, when you, you leave your community and you go to another place where all your friends are not going, and then you're not accepted in the place that you're going sometimes, and then you come back home, and then they're like, uh, well, who are you? Because you're a little different than all of us, because you're going <laughs> over to this, yep. this other place. You yeah, know, man. you're living in this, this centered world where you're trying to connect, and, and, and that's something that, that I don't want so many of us who have the opportunity to step up and, and to create opportunities, no matter who you are and, and what environment you are, it's, it's, it's like feeling like you belong. Right. And that's why, mm-hmm. you know, I keep coming back to the power of big brothers, big sisters, because the reason I'm at this organization is because this organization is a place that is helping young people to feel like they belong, that they feel like they're part of a community, that they feel connected. And those relationships that they can identify with people who are like them or sometimes who are nothing like them, but mm-hmm. have the same type of values. It's critically important to the work that we're doing today. Yeah. Maybe uh, so this is, this sounds like a good time to pivot because I'd love to talk more about the sort of youth empowerment piece of, of the role and what your organization stands for. Um, carrying on this conversation around being the only, or, um, you know, how communities of color have to have pressure and have, all these, all of these uh, different pieces, um, you know, that they have to think through. It's, you know, I think it's roughly seventy percent of the the youth within Big Brothers Big Sisters of America are from community communities of color, um, and so while racial injustice has affected so many of the people around the world, I feel like we often forget how it specifically is impacting our youth, right? And so you, I can imagine in your role, there, there's a large element of that. What's happening in the world, the systemic change that's happening but also how that impacts youth. I don't know if we talk about that a, a, a ton. Maybe we could talk a little bit about that now. What kind of change do you think needs to happen in order for our youth of color to feel like they have the same opportunities as others? And with yeah. that, you know, among youth of color, how do different backgrounds and races, races get impact, impacted? Uh, we've seen what's happened in the Asian community. We've seen what's happening in the Hispanic community. Maybe talk, a little bit, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, no, it, it's a great question. And I think to, to answer that question, you start at to the sense of what, what they're experiencing right now, what they're going through. Talking about a, a, a generation of people, of young people who are seeing the world in this really rapid, uh, uh, disjointed, um, disagreeable, uh, just fast pace of all these different types of society issues, societal ills and issues that are coming at them at this rapid speed. And they're trying to comprehend it all. Now you put on top of that, that these issues were already impacting 
communities of color at a, a more highly disproportionate rate than the general mm-hmm. population, that's been exasperated even more with the pandemic, right? So you think yeah. about pretty much any singular area when you're thinking educationally, economically, whether you're thinking about things that happen from an environmental standpoint uh, in, in communities, uh, and you look at the sense of what kids are experiencing right now at a higher rate of, of, of traumatic experiences and, and social trauma and mental trauma and mental health issues, whether you're talking about the sense of poverty and kids facing much more of a significance of poverty and particularly uh, communities of color uh, exacerbating in terms of the the uh, entering of, uh, into the poverty uh, and then in places of, of food uh, disparities as well. And then you think about things in terms of social isolation, right? The the way that young people have been even more disconnected from their communities. So so think about the young the young people we serve, for example, right? So you mentioned that we serve a number of young people in community colors. Here's some other aspects of the groups that we serve. We know that 60% of the young people that we serve are in single family households, right? Wow. We know that a what a quarter of the kids that we serve have a parent that either is incarcerated or that's in the parole system. We know that about 55% of the kids that we serve are in poverty, right? Um, or receiving free and reduced lunch, right? That has, that in no way, JJ, does that define them and who they are, mm-hmm. right? What, what we know in many cases, it makes them even more resilient because of some of the things that they face. However, we also know that those adverse childhood experiences, it weighs on them, it anchors on them in their communities even more. So what they're facing is incredibly traumatic, right? And it's not that that the, the parent in the household doesn't want to be there, but it's that the parent in the household could be stretched because they're trying to work and do many other things that maybe they have to do even more because now grandparent, auntie, the family is not being connected in because of the pandemic and because they've been so socially isolated, right? So mm-hmm. all of these things become compounding issues and compounding factors. And this is where it's leading me and, and where I'm going to back to your question, that when you think about this, this is affecting kids in, in, in our communities even more, right? And it's affecting uh, kids because they're not only experiencing the isolation, but they're seeing the issues on the ground. They're facing the poverty that's in front of them. They're seeing the violence and the things that are being talked about. Uh, they're experiencing social media and the connections of social media without the filters that we would have ordinarily been able to get sometimes with the time and the experiences that they have with mentors or people people in their lives. So when you have all of those things, those types of things that are going on, the importance of having access to positive relationships become even more important because it becomes God, it becomes direction, it becomes the sounding board that young people need. We also know what's critically important is our ability to have critical partnerships in communities because none of us can address these types of issues that youth are facing alone. And this is probably the one of the biggest things that, that I say uh, when people ask me the question about what we can do. One of the biggest things that we can do is fundamentally, is real fundamental that's really think about what is it that we all can do that we bring best to the table, right? So, so many of the work that we do, whether it's in corporate America, uh, in educational institutions, nonprofits, they happen disparately, right? So here's Big Brothers Big Sisters, here's an education institution, here's a corporate partner. They all have, we all have the same interests. We all have to have the same ultimate goal in mind in a lot of ways, 
But in a lot of ways, we're not working as effectively as we can because we're not bringing the true level of the resources to be able to attack the big challenges and the problems. I believe that the power of partnership is the biggest element that we can do in society to ensure that we, from a purpose perspective, are bringing the best ideas, the best aspects of the work that we're we're moving forward. And then the, the last thing I'll say to this is that even with all of that, the one of the biggest mistakes that I feel that that in addressing issues of race and addressing issues around social justice is not listening, right? Not listening to the people who've been most effective. And we we can't just say that we're a youth empowerment organization. I say this to my team a lot, that to be a youth empowerment organization, you have to start as a youth listening organization. And that truly means listening to young people and putting them into the power, the empowerment zone to be able to make decisions. So we're launching a national youth advisory council. That's going to be not just a named council of young people. They're going to be connected to our board. Oh, that's great. Because their fingerprints have, have to be on the decisions that we're making it. So if you're listening uh, to me right now on this call, one of the biggest things I will, will say to you is that if you're thinking addre- about addressing the problem with young people, you got to make young people part of the solution, yeah. not just to simply the audience that you're trying to affect in some way. Wow. That's a powerful concept um, because we talk about youth empowerment, but without involving them in the solutioning, how are you empowering them, right? I mean, how are they involved in those decision-making? In the, in the, in the decision-making, um, I, I almost, you know, I immediately go to as large organizations as well. Like we, we talk about employee empowerment and, you know, employees having a voice, but if they're not involved in that decision-making, how are they actually truly empowered? Right. So that's right. It's an interesting concept. I want to go back to one thing you talked about the power of partnership. What does that actually look like? Is that fundraising? Is that, you know, companies partnering with organizations, you know, with the check, like what, what does that actually look like? Yeah, it's, 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 it's so much a variety of things. It's, it's, it's all the above. And, and let's talk about what it starts with JJ, because I think that's fundamental. And, and, and I know being on a, a, a a podcast like this, where you talk to a lot of leaders uh, and influencers that, there's some similarities, no matter what, what industry you come from or, or what seat you sit in in this work. One of the, the common similarities, though, is that partnerships have to be authentic, right? And I think if there is one thing that we've seen uh, in the growth of, of social justice, and you've seen the growth of the, 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 BM, the, the Black Lives Matter uh, mm-hmm. movement, that authenticity matters, right? Yeah. So when you see when you see a company like Ben and Jerry's, just for an example, right? This is not a company that's just decided to be about whether you agree with them or not, right? That's not right. the point here. No, they've been but about the, it. <laughs> yeah. The point is that they've been about it. And, and even if you're starting new at the game, that the, the sense of being authentic to the values and authenticity, authenticity is not the press releases we talk about. It's not the social media posts. It's so much beyond that. It's your practices. It's representation within your boardrooms and your staff rooms, your leadership groups. It's across the organization. It's the type of conversations that you're you're creating. Authenticity is the start to really powerful partnerships. So when we go out to partner with someone, one of the first questions that I'm asking partners is it's not a it's not a hold my hand out, right? Because right. you know th- that's that to me that's yesteryear charity. That right. that is hey you know write us a check and here's what we can do. 
What I'm looking for is strategic partnerships that can create the most meaningful, meaningful value and create mm-hmm. the biggest outcomes. And the way that I do that is by working deep with partners who care about the issues that we care about, who live the same types of values that we, we care about, and who may not, may not be perfect, by the way. Let me make sure I'm being very clear about that mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. There, there is, it's hard to find any organization out there that is completely perfect. What I want is your sense of commitment, right? Are you committed to getting it right? And then can we look and say, here's how we're going to build something that's going to be incredibly effective for young people and create outcomes and work for value aspects of what you're looking for. So you take a partner like ours, like Comcast, for example, is one of our big partners. It's been one of our longest standing partnerships because what we saw was that there was a need for their employees who wanted to give back to their communities but who also wanted to give back to communities in areas of need, and particularly in area, in communities of color. That didn't start this year. That's been a partnership that's been going on for over a decade. Mm-hmm. And what they're bringing to the table for us is saying, we can bring media, we can bring investment, because you always need uh, revenue to support your mission, but we can bring media, we can bring employees, we can bring the types of content and resources. We can bring a level of thought leadership. And then we say to to Comcast, that's awesome. That's great, right? We stake this on a foundation that's uh, based upon both of our organizations, how we were founded, what we believe in, what's the credibility of our organizations. And then what we're bringing to the table is to say, we're going to bring a mission and an engagement opportunity for you to be authentically engaged and connected to the communities that you want to serve. Uh, mm-hmm. And because we're the largest workplace mentoring program in the country, we're able to do that in supporting many of their employee uh, resource groups that they have in the company to be able to actualize that. But th- to me, that's what's the foundation. And then ultimately, mm-hmm. it is how do you make that not transactional, but sustainable for the long run when you're trying to build all these various aspects? They have to have a stake in the ground. And stake in the ground is authenticity. Love it. Yeah, that's big. You can, you can tell the organizations that are putting out some, you know, so in our work, many times we're working with, you know, the communicating uh, communications function within large organizations or the marketing function within large organizations. And, you know, you can tell the organizations that truly mean it and that want to dig in and, and try to address some s- systemic change. Um, and then, you know, there are a lot of organizations that put out the, the really pretty words, but there's no action, right? So it sounds like that action piece is something you heavily vet for. That commitment piece is something you heavily vet for. That um, versus just a check. Um, so, so yeah. thanks for digging in on that, man. Yeah, and, and I'll say this too because I, I also think this is important, particularly if you have corporate partners who, who are, or corporate America who's listening uh, to this as well. It's important, right? And I think that uh, Darren Walker did an interview on sixty Minutes that, that just keeps resonating uh, with me with the Ford Foundation. Um, but it's just the importance to remember that when you're investing in organizations like this, that these things don't happen by magic, right? I know a, a lot of time uh, when you invest in an organization, you want to invest in these very strat- these specific things, right? But sometimes what's left off the table is people don't want to invest into some of the what, what I call non-sexy stuff, right? That's right. the stuff like the the staff or the capacity to truly mm-hmm. keep the organization going. And it's the most important thing for all the stuff that you you, you look that's in the bright lights, right? All the outcomes and the different stuff that, that corporations want to invest in. If you don't invest in the core 
of what makes the engine turn for these organizations. That's the operating that the other stuff that you want to get to will not, will not be longstanding, will not be sustainable because we have to ensure, and particularly now more than ever, ensure that these organizations have a firm foundation to stand on and to continue to produce outcomes that we all want to see in this country. Man, I love it. Artists, we at Edelman have studied the topic of trust uh, for over 20 years. I think we're in our 21st year. And last year, I think we did six or seven cuts of trust. We typically do one big report and, you know, it's been a piece of IP that a lot of folks look to and they quote and um, it's been incredible in terms of the work that we do as we partner with organizations having this, this kind of data. This past month, we uh, did a, a cut of trust that was really around business and racial justice in America, um, looking at where we've made progress and where we haven't made progress. And one of the, there were several things that came out that were really surprising. One of them was this deep disappointment in our institutions, government, business, NGO, and media with only one third of the respondents believing that there has been real progress in this fight uh, against systemic racism, racial injustice. Why do you think that is? I mean, it, you know, we looked at the data, we have some sense of why that is, but you know, do you think there has been enough progress um, or have we been too slow in this entire fight of, around systemic racism? Well, if you think about where our country has been, Right. I think the answer to that is quite obviously yes. Right. It, it's that this has been the the anchor issue and challenge that's been in front of our country since our founding. Right. So if the idea of too slow in terms of, of, of progress into this, I, I think it's innately there just because it's been the the the, the anchor of what's been at the core of our country since its founding. Um, and and what's happened around race uh, in our country? So it, it, it there is the foundation of that, but but let's talk about what's happening today, right? Because I think that's important to to your question. That I think in general there's a lot of distrust towards institutions and institutions that are that are out in society, and there are certainly a number of factors that that weigh into that, and it's things that I think that's probably been happening over a number of years in terms of the sense of transparency and, and organizations and companies, the sense of, of mistrust because of foul play and a lot of things that you see in, in structures and things and ent entities that you used to trust. And that goes across, across so many different institutions. Uh, of course, you think about government and corporate being probably two of the biggest ones, but you see that in education, you see it in nonprofit uh, as well. I think there is it's probably with more information being available and ready for people to sort of dive into. I think that's also another factor that's now giving people more of a critical eye of looking at uh, what's what's happening in society. But now let's overlay that to the sense of of, of race uh, in our country. It is something that we haven't we we have not wanted to talk about. Right? It has been this this conversation that yeah, you maybe talk about it with your family, you maybe talk about it in a circle. I'll be very clear, very straightforward here. It's also been a conversation that's been, it hasn't had the, the level of allyship that I feel like it, it's needed and it's critically to have to ensure that it's elevated to a level in, the, in spaces of this country that's needed to have. It's always been embedded into the, the folks who are fighting the, the fight, right? So yeah. when you are having a conversation 
and everybody looks the same around the table, it's hard to truly have a very comprehensive conversation because everybody you need at the table to be influencers is not at the table. What's happened this year, which I am hopeful for, I hope that from all the things and all the disturbing things that have happened over the past year, all the things that have been distressing, uh, that's just been traumatic for, for us as a country and for so many communities, that from this, there's the positive and productive outcome that we can advance the discussion around race in this country, the advance, the opportunity around social justice uh, in this country. And it should be things that we all can agree upon, right? That there are going to be certain things politically that folks are not going to agree on. But I can tell you something that we can all agree on, right? And I'm going to bring this full circle. Like, can we agree on that every single young person in this country should have the equitable access to, to education, equitable mm -hmm. access to opportunities and mentorship, the opportunity to be able to build and find a career uh, in life, that, that they have fundamental rights and fundamental opportunities as a young person that you would want for your own child. There are places that no matter where you sit, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, no matter where you sit in this country, and that you can agree on about young people in this country and the opportunities that they, they should have. And when I look at the, the point that you just made about you know, mistrust, well, let's talk about the things that we can trust, the things that we can believe in, the things mm -hmm. that we believe in terms of our values. And then let's talk about the, some of the ways that maybe we can get started on that from both from a policy issue, from a programmatic one, from how we think about community development uh, across our country. There are places that we can start in this country. There are places that we can start as organizations. And there are places that we can start individually in our own households about what we talk about with our kids, how we empower them, and how we support them to be the types of leaders as they go out into the world to truly be influential uh, and to create the type of trust that we want to build in our communities. So I, I think to everything you said, JJ, there's a way we can take this data and build on it to be a better and a stronger country. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm sure I'm not the first person to say this artist, but at some point I'm sure you're going to run for something. Uh, I just, it's, you, you got, you got the, you got the formula, my friend, you, you know, uh, I'm sure somebody's told you that before, right? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, my, my wife has told me that if I <laughs> chose to do that, I'll be running for my life. So. <laughs> Smart woman. Okay. Uh, off of that. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. Um, look, a, a couple more questions here. So um, you, you started out saying, you know, there have been mentors in your life that has been, have been instrumental to your life. Uh, and I, I wonder, you know, as you're now in this role, um, and I'm sure you're a mentor to many, um, what's your favorite piece of advice that you like to give out to, you know, the youth um, that you serve, but also, you know, what's that piece of advice that you continue to ruminate on as you, you've joined Big Brothers, Big Sisters of America? Yeah, oh, I love this one, right? And it, and it has to do with mentoring. But so, so let me, let me, I will tell young, if, if you're a young professional listening right now, uh, and, and you're trying to sort of figure out how do I get that, that right type of uh, mentor, that right type of advice, the people, advisors, my circle of advisors, all that good stuff. Let me just tell you a fundamental truth. And this is one of the things I learned. Mentoring goes in multiple ways, right? And, and what, what we have to remember, and I learned this early in my career, was that 
don't look at mentoring as one way, right? When sometimes when you're a young mm-hmm. professional, you you think that, oh, I need to get a mentor to help me, right? To help guide me, to help develop me. Well, like if you really want to build a strong mentoring relationship, think about what can you offer that person? And you can. Don't think of it that you have nothing to offer, right? And when you look at mentoring as a shared experience, a shared value, that it's reciprocal, right? So the experience is some, some perspective that you're giving the, 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 the person who is more seasoned in a way of speaking, that there is a relationship that's being built on that. So every relationship I go into, I always go into, even if it's a mentor of mine, I always go into it. How can I add value to that person? Because ultimately you're thinking about that person, you're walking into it that way. And then you're building a more sustainable and a long-term relationship because it doesn't feel as transactional as what can you give me? How can you help me? Even if you're not thinking that way, mm-hmm. yeah. think more intentional about how you can give because that's how you find great mentors because they see you in that light. They see you as a person who's thinking that way and you build stronger foundations uh, on that way. And the second thing I would say is don't be afraid to fail. And I know people say that all the time because it's easier said than done, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but, but, you have to fail, right? You and and and, and someone told me that before. I was like, "What? I gotta fail? What is that? What is that? Right. I don't want to fail at anything, right?" And that was again being, being younger in my career and and having a sense of, well, why should I have to fail at something, right? Why can't I just succeed and just succeed at the time again? There's something about failure that is just such an incredible teacher, right? Yeah. In terms yeah. of the experience, but something that builds in you this sense of resiliency that it builds in you. And the idea of failing, you don't go out to fail, but it's about the, what I mean by that statement, it's the intentionality of what you learn, that you're you're saying, I'm going to be willing to take a calculated, smart, intentional risk because I know that even if I fail, I know I'm going to get something from it. And I'm not going to be afraid to take this chance because the chance that you don't take is the chance that could be the one that breaks you out. That's a mic drop, man. If I had a mic, I'd pass it through uh, the phone here and, and uh, just slam that thing down. Uh, look, we could do this for hours, um, but <laughs> I think that's all the time we have for today. But artists, I, I want to thank you big time for joining us, for coming on the pod, um, for sharing your perspective. I mean, this has been really, really valuable. I'm sure all of the listeners out there extremely are extremely thankful for you taking time out to spend with us on the Trustcast. And so, um, man, thanks for coming on. Uh, hopefully well, we can do this again sometime. Yeah, I would love to do it. And, and I just want to offer up to your audience, if, if you want to learn more about how you can contribute and support, you know, check, check us out at, at Big Brothers Big Sisters of America, you know, bbbs.org and, and find out ways that you contribute. And by the way, even if it's not with us, right, it doesn't have to be with us. Find an organization that you can give your talents to, that you can contribute. Young people need it. Our communities need it. Uh, go out, volunteer, get invested, support, because it's critically important for us as a community, as a country, as a whole. Incredibly important. All right. Well, thanks again, artists. Appreciate your time, and uh, we'll talk again soon. All right. Thanks, JJ. Thanks for listening to The Trustcast. The Trustcast is produced by Tara Zafar and Shireen Pathak. Don't forget to follow Edelman PR on Twitter and visit us on edelman.com. Thanks so much, and have a great day.